I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Along with drummer Quinn Kirchner, Chicago's Hanging Hearts trio consists of Cole DeGeneva and Chris Weller, two Oak Park High School chums who went on to formulate their musical identities at Boston's Berklee College of Music during the first decade of this century. Tone Madison's own Scott Gordon describes the band as brash and frequently exuberant, and moving between surging, rock-inspired melodies one moment and fragmented free jazz the next. I dialed up saxophonist Chris Weller to get the lowdown on the band, his other projects, and his role with Big Fish Booking, one of today's premier creative music booking and management agencies. Welcome, Chris Weller, to the Showbiz Roundup. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Michael. Um, the trio you're bringing to Madison for Blue Stem Jazz is the Hanging Hearts Trio. Um, Cole DeGeneva on keyboards, yourself on saxophone, and Quinn Kirchner on drums. Mm-hmm. Is uh, is Quinn subbing for Devin, or is this a personnel change? That's no, it's just a, just a switch. Um, you know, working and trying out a Chicago cat, and uh, we can get together locally, and uh, you know, just working on some new stuff. So. So like a logistical thing as much as anything, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about Cole's keyboard sounds for the recordings that you have for this trio. Mm-hmm. Is that some, they, they, they're, they seem fairly unique to me. They're like, you know, uh, maybe some effects and it's just not the typical like analog synth sound or whatever that you'd hear. Do you guys talk about what sounds to use for the various tunes or is that completely up to him? Uh, a little bit of both, you know, I, I think it depends on the tune and what it needs compositionally. Um, sometimes we have to search for the right kind of sound, but also Cole will kind of explore things himself or have ideas and discover things live. Um, so I guess it goes back and forth, but he definitely he, he uses effects and he has his Nord and he was using a micro Korg, but I think he's using a Moog a little fatty now. Um, so he has a little bit more low end potential and, you know, he has a lot of different options for everything. So yeah, it's a very happening sound. I mean, it oh, almost yeah. seems to me like there's a, like a micro renaissance of, of trios without bass, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm sure there are, there are plenty from back in the day, but like, you know, like thinking about Tift or, or yeah. Jason, Jason Stein's, uh, trio, I mean, is this a new, is this a micro-renaissance or is it just a continuation of other things? Man, I don't know, because I also really like trios without chords. So, um, you know, I suppose, yeah, there's uh, there's been a good amount of it. However, I would say Cole is still... Sorry, I'm going to turn my phone off here. I would say that Cole is actually still providing the low end. Um, we just essentially cut out another person, you know? So let's call it a micro-renaissance. I'm into that. Yeah, why not? <laughs> let's talk about the the compositional approach to the to the music for Hanging Hearts. It, it sounds to me like maybe your approach is sort of motivic, you know, like you find a, a motif that that you want to work on. And then do you how do you go from there? Do you like do variations or are you trying to think about how to harmonize things? How does it start and where does it go? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I can only speak for myself because other people write too, but, um, generally speaking, yeah, I would say it's somewhat conceptually driven in terms of there's a motif or a certain harmonic element or rhythmic element that kind of inspires whatever the song becomes. 
Um, and then we just develop it from there or I develop it if I'm writing on my own. Um, and to a degree, I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, some of these songs workshop over the long term before they actually become, come to fruition as a, as a finished piece. Other things uh, just come together a lot quick, quicker, you know. And so it varies from time to time. But probably with most people, I mean, a, a certain amount of it is intuition and just kind of following where the years go and enjoying that process of just like personal creativity. And then other parts of it are like, you know, actually having to work things out if you get stuck and, you know, figuring out how to make a tune a tune and what, what does that mean and how do you do it? And maybe like technical challenges, like if you want to do something. Oh, more complicated. I, yeah, I definitely experienced plenty of those. I would say that Cole, Cole's a good sport, but we definitely work him pretty hard seeing as to how he has to deal with his left and right hands, you know, bass and, and keys and yeah, it's amazing. I don't know how he does what he does. You also seem to have an affinity for playing duo with with drummers. You've got an album with Devin and one with Dave King that came out mm -hmm. very uh, recently. What what's that all about? How how do you I mean, what is your affinity with playing duo sessions with drummers? Um it's just a really visceral thing, I think for me. I really enjoy it. I like that there's a lot of space for for harmonic rhythmic any i mean improvisational freedom you know i would say it's not necessarily that you can get away with more as much as like i just really enjoy exploring that space and the contrast uh between what i'm doing on the horn and what a drummer's doing and how we can sort of contour one another together i think it's really cool to to constantly explore those different resolution points and uh and just the potential there yeah it's it's the shit pardon my language <laughs> not at all so two records with hanging hearts the first one came out in 2014 and then you had the second one into a myth in 2017 mm -hmm. the the into a myth was produced by dave king um mm -hmm. is it cheaper to have dave king produce your record or play drums on it that's just a joke. You don't, you don't uh, have to answer that. I don't know if I should that. give away the answer to that. <laughs> just... uh, let's say that he's masterful at everything that he does, and we'll yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. Um, how did you develop this relationship with Dave King? And, and also, it, to my ears, like it seems like Happy Apple, Michael Lewis might be influential mm -hmm. to you. Um, you. You've got a tune on that record with Devin called uh, Happy Apple. I mean, that's a pretty mm -hmm. clear homage perhaps to happy Apple. yeah oh yeah for sure i mean yeah i mean all of those guys have been so influential um just icons to look up to um how did the relationship begin with dave um that just began by us reaching out to him and seeing if he would be interested in producing the, the album and sending him some music and uh and that slowly kind of took hold and he expressed an interest and we were able to work it out just because the dates came together and i don't think he was on the road with the bad plus whenever we were thinking about recording so it, you know it worked out um and then things sort of just took a hold from there and you know we've developed the relationship ever since and it's, it's been a really beautiful thing and I'm, we've learned a lot working with dave in a number of different ways so it's been awesome. But yeah, I mean, Dave is, I mean, even Dave, prior to working with him, obviously Dave was a huge inspiration, um, such a creative dude. 
and all of his contemporaries, Michael Lewis, Chris Bead, you know, Tim Byrne. Uh, they're way, way too many to name, but they're all up there as being super influential. You're a Berkeley cat, uh, I understand. <laughs> um, what was that experience like for you? I mean, is Bill Pierce still sort of like, did you have ensembles and classes with Bill Pierce or who was it at Berkeley that uh, was, I don't know, who you connected with? For sure. Yeah. Um, actually, and, and Cole went to Berkeley too. Um, yeah, Berkeley was cool. I, you know, I think there just, there's so many talented people around you all at once. It's just, it's, it's insane, honestly. Um, especially when you're younger and figuring everything out, but it's really beautiful. Um, there's no shortage of people to collaborate with and learn from. And so it's, it's a really beautiful space. Um, I didn't actually study with Bill, but he, he was there. I think he was the head of the woodwind department when I was there. Um, Jim Odgren was influential as a saxophone teacher. Uh, Shannon LeClaire was really great. I studied a little bit with George Garzon, uh, Andy McGee. I think it might have just been the four of them. But um, And I studied a little bit on the side with Bob Moses, who probably had the, the largest inspiration um, as a teacher for me at that time, um, you know, more than just the notes per se, but just really the, the artistry as a whole and, and what you figuring out what I would want to do as an artist and, and just make music generally speaking, you know? So I would say those, I mean, actually, I mean, there were so many uh, thinking back, it's been so long since I've had to think about Berkeley. There were a lot of people actually, Dave Santoro was really helpful and beautiful too. Um, there were so many more, yeah. Yeah, I think Bob Moses is um, certainly a big influence in that sphere. You know, I can think of oh, tons yeah. of people who he's touched in that way, yeah, definitely. Yeah, super special. Um, some of your recordings you've, I guess, self-released, and some of them are on Shifting Paradigm. Mm -hmm. how, how do you decide, you know, which release will benefit from going with something like Shifting Paradigm and which ones uh, will benefit just by being self-released? What's the process like? For sure, you know, and I, I, I will openly admit that I think at the times when I've released things in the past, for the most part, um, I don't even think I really understood that choice and the impact of any of those choices the way that I do now, which is a little bit more just, I mean, we also, uh, in addition to being a, a musician, we also have a booking and management company. So we're a little bit more involved, I guess, on, on all of those things and, and more in tune now, but <clears throat> excuse me, I would say that it really just depends on, I don't know. It, it I think the goals, you know, um, if you're trying to, tour on a project or you want something you know to have a civic community as opposed to just kind of self-releasing to put some stuff out there for people if, if they see if they dig it um i just think it's mostly about personal goals and what you're trying to get out of that relationship with a label versus putting something out by yourself you know mm -hmm. different reaches different audiences kind of connect with things they find them differently yeah. And, you know, and, and there's, I'm sure there's a good amount of overlap too, because I really, I think a, a big part of it is, you know, 
there's an overlap in reach between some labels and what maybe your own reach is as an artist because you might have very similar audiences, you know? So it just, it, it depends, you know? Um, are you gonna only release digitally or are you gonna make physical products? And if so, you know, what's up with the distribution and, and how does all of that work, so. Yeah. Um, let's pivot a little bit and talk about your role at Big Fish. Um, sure. Big Fish has definitely been, I think, a, a great resource for Blue Stem in terms of, you know, finding some of those artists to come through Madison that, you know, mm -hmm. fit with the, like the Blue Stem credo or whatever, the kind of music that they want to present. Um, what is your role with, with uh, Big Fish? Is that like your day job? That is, yeah. I mean, that, that's my day job. Um, I do you know pretty much everything we have a, a team of three uh it's my my wife and i started the company and our friend ryan works with us um and we have an, a nice uh tight thing going you know the company is relatively lean and mean but we do a lot of different things and we just try to support the arts how we can locally regionally and abroad um I, you know, I mean, I do anything and everything. So Big Fish is a booking and management company. So we, we manage some artists that we don't book. We book some artists we don't manage. And there's a little bit of overlap with a couple people. But, um, you know, I think these days management and even booking to a degree can kind of be anything that you want it to be because the music industry is just that way now. Artists need different things and at different times and not everybody is the same. Um, so... You know, I mean, we do everything. We do admin work. We do creative work, strategy, booking, management, record deals, publishing, um, social media, literally any anything that you can think of. Probably we do it to a degree, although some things we do more than others. So, uh, and Blue Stem has been amazing, um, so supportive. So thank you all for that. Uh, it's been great to collaborate over the years and and try to nurture a scene because, uh, you know, it's just, it's a special one as it is. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just think back to, you know, like when I was starting out and I hate to say back in my day, but back in my day, we all read that book, like how to be your own booking agent and, you know, keep notebooks of the phone calls and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a tremendous, uh, service that you're providing to artists. I think because, you know, it's a lot for sure. Yeah. I mean, the infrastructure is enormous. That's and, and not necessarily an easy thing. So, uh, you know, but we enjoy it and it's fulfilling for us to support other artists and to try and make special musical moments happen because, you know, I think we can all probably remember really vividly the how powerful an impact music can be and just like really special concerts that you know, we talk about to this day as, as moving us and always just having such a heavy feeling, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's what it's all about, you know? Yeah. Um, we talked about the record with Dave King that just came out. Anything else on the horizon for you? What, what are you, what are you working uh, on now? So, uh, I mean, I've, I've been working on some solo material for a few years. Um, I don't know if my chops are necessarily uh, up to par at the moment to to get that done. But at some point, I, I do want to cut a solo record. Um, I don't know necessarily know what I'll do with it, but for, it may be for no other reason other than 
establishing that chapter and and actually doing the thing so that it's 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 done um but i really enjoy playing solo material um I'm writing a lot more for hanging hearts so at some point i'm sure we'll record another album there hopefully in the next year or so um i don't know you know it it depends there's a lot going on so i'm not uh those are the main two things at this time but who knows <laughs> you know yeah definitely well chris weller thank you so much for taking the time to thank be you. on the program today um, thank you michael looking forward to seeing you in madison uh later in august with your trio hanging hearts beautiful thank you so much we'll see you there that's it for another episode of the showbiz roundup if you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by blue stem jazz you can head over to bluestemjazz.org and you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com catch you later <laughs>